You're listening to audio from Normandy Community Church in Dallas. These sermons are to be strategic. Um, they kind of give us some insight as to where we're going as a church family. And um, over September, we looked at the mission of God and see a day. Uh, here in October, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more focused around Ecclesia. Not at least while I'm preaching, Hager is going to come up and talk about Jesus, but that's... He is the head of the church, so that counts too. And then in um, November, going into uh, Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about discipleship a little bit more. Uh, and so today, on your uh, handout, you should see the title of it, Ecclesia, the church is God's missionary people. When you hear, um, when you read that phrase, what's the first thing that stands out to you? First thought that comes to mind. This is going to be more interactive today, so feel free. God's yeah, missionary people. Yeah. What stands out to you when you see that, John? Uh, it's just, um, uh, I think we talked a lot about the church, uh, but God's, like, the church being God's missionary people, and just seeing those two together, that's what comes out to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. What else stands out to you all? Ecclesia. Church is God's missionary people. When you hear the word missionary, what comes to mind? Being sent. Being sent. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the last couple of weeks in John, and Jesus looks to the disciples as the Father sends me, so send I you. What else stands out? Mm-hmm. Read that quote to me. John, you have a loud voice. Kaiser. Um, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made of the church. The church was made for mission. Christopher J.H. Wright. Mission was not made of the church. The church was made for mission. That's a good phrase. You know, over these weeks we've talked, I've, I've mentioned this, whether it's on Instagram or just in this context, that uh, a lot of times when, we're, when I'm talking with believers, I'm hearing a, a person that might be discouraged when it comes to mission or purpose when it comes to the church or their own mission. So hopefully today you'll, you'll find some energy or some strength as it pertains to your own purpose as we talk about the church's purpose and mission. I love this from the message. It's the way they talk about the Great Commission. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. In the message, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, The Father told me to command and commission you guys to do this. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. Pretty audacious. It's pretty intense. And so that's what we're going to be looking at um, today. So the Great Commission. Let's actually... Oops, I want to read it now later. I don't want to wait. The Great Commission. So we're talking about the church. When you think about the Great Commission, it talks about discipleship, right? Uh, there's not a lot... There's no phrases about the church in here. So sometimes it doesn't make sense, at least in my brain, to think about the Great Commission as having anything to do with the church. Does that make sense? 
Anybody else register with that? Like, go therefore and make disciples. It doesn't talk about the church necessarily, right? Right, no, not explicitly. To me, though, as I was thinking about this, the Great Commission is how Jesus, um, it's Jesus' plan to fulfill what he talked about in Matthew chapter 16, 18 through 19. We read this a couple weeks ago, but he says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. He looks at Peter and says, I'm going to build my church on this confession. The confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now going back to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples. This is his master plan for how he's going to fulfill what he declared in Matthew 16, verse 18. I will build my church. The Great Commission is how he's going to build his church. With the people who are sent into all the world. This is how he's going to do it. How he's going to build his church, his master plan of evangelism. Ecclesia, it's Latin. It most literally means called out ones. So in the Greco-Roman world, when you would read it, uh, you'd hear that. You'd hear about an assembly or a gathering in the ancient world. So the church kind of took that and used it for its own purposes. Um, Jesus did. He sanctified it. said, this is my word now. Ecclesia is called out ones. Meaning we've been called out from a certain way. We've been called to a purpose, uh, to a person, Jesus. And then you're called for a purpose and then you're sent into the world. So when you hear uh, about, when you think about the word church, when you think about the word ecclesia, I actually want you to write this if you've got a spot there. Um, I want you to think about gathered and sent. Gathered and sent. The church is both gathered and sent. We gather today to remind ourselves of who God is, who we are, and what we are called to do. The church is gathered, and then we're to be sent. We welcome you with a greeting about a chili cook-off and jokes about Texas A&M's victorious game last night. There it is. Spencer was greeting earlier. But at the end of the service, you were sent into the world. Going back to the message. Go out and train everyone you meet. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. So the church is both God's gathered people and God's sent people. Now, first off, we're all pretty much Westerners. And that means we think about in terms of me and I. We rarely think about the, ourselves as like our identity being based in community, right? Maybe our family a little bit, maybe what university we went to. But like as it pertains to you and I, we are God's people gathered and then sent. Does that, do you see what I'm going there? I want to change how we think about church. Ecclesia means that we are both gathered, God's gathered people and God sent people. Now, we've all been to a church that focuses a little bit more on one or the other, right? Sunday-based church or like a missions-based church. But the reality is it's got to be a fine line that you're telling between being gathered and sent, right? Yeah. All right. So in Matthew 28... What I want us to think about is what this text tells us about what a disciple is and what it means to make a disciple. As we look at this text, I want to think about what a disciple is and what it is to actually make disciples. 
And now this is about discipleship uh, in particular as Jesus is speaking, but what do we learn about the nature and the function of the church as we read about this, okay? What do we learn about the nature and the function of the church when we think about Matthew 28? Now, would you read with me Matthew 28? It should be right there for you, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. I want you all to read out loud with me. So uh, read with me, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some died. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I So what do we learn from this text about being a disciple and by an extension about the nature and function of the church? How do we, what do we learn from it? So a disciple is a student. A disciple is a student, an apprentice. Back in this day, um, a, a good Jewish boy would, would hopefully found a rabbi and they would follow them around the world, or the world, <laughs> Israel, Palestine, they would follow them wherever they went. They lived with them, they ate with them, they walked with them, they talked with them. It was a lot different to make a disciple or a student back then than now. A lot of times we think about discipleship as being like a program. You meet at Starbucks at 5 a.m., you walk through a list of sins, you confess, you learn the Bible, and then you go home about your work. That's kind of a lot of our view of discipleship. But that's not the view that the, Jesus had of discipleship. It was something that a disciple did. They came and followed their rabbi, and they followed them wherever they went. They learned from them. Um, they had a prayer about this. They'd say, man, we would pray that the dust of your rabbi would be on you. Like, that was the hope for them, is that the dust of the rabbi that you were following would be on you. And that's a good picture of what it means for us to follow Jesus. That, man, hopefully we would be so close to him that his dust is getting on us. His dust is getting on us. These disciples, these apprentices would learn to become like their rabbi, live with them in their way of life. I was thinking about a sermon series we did years ago. It's one of the most brilliant titles I ever came up with. And this was the title. We're going to teach you how to do everything that world-creating, good news-proclaiming, table-turning, death-conquering, disease-healing, founder of the church told us to do. That's what it means to be a disciple. Like, we're supposed to teach people how to follow Jesus. That's what a disciple is, okay? Yeah. Now, um, in terms of what the church is, the church should be made up of apprentices to Jesus. This is a radical shift for me. I, I'm still working through this, but I've been doing this over and over. Like if we picture Jesus teaching and then he's the leader of the church and we're following him, right? This is nuts, but that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You're not following me, you're following Jesus. And that's the shift, like that's the supernatural shift that I want us to see, that we believe that there's a Jewish guy who said he was the son of God, who actually is the son of God, who was murdered on a cross, dead, buried, resurrected, ascended into heaven, and is now somehow existing in bodily form outside of time, although he still makes appearances in places like China and then like um, 
the Islamic world appearing to people and they get saved without praying the sinner's prayer. We believe that he is actually the head of the body of the church. Yeah. That's what we believe. That sounds insane and awesome all at the same time. So to be a member of the church is to be a follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus is to have someone pray and say, man, I hope the dust of his sandals gets on you. Like you're so close to him. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So in terms of what the church is, it's made up of apprentices to Jesus. This shapes how we understand God, how we understand ourselves, um, and how to live our lives like Jesus is actually alive. This is the building block of the church. So when you think about when Jesus says, I will build my church, what he says, is I'm going to build it with men and women, boys and girls from every race, creed, class, and color that are apprenticed to me. They're going to follow me and I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail over that relationship. That's good. So a disciple is a student. What, st what stands to mind? What's a fresh thought? What's an encouraging thought there? Just flow a little bit. Riff a little bit. Are you just playing the highlights of the Texas A&M game? It's okay. We're still getting dust on you. fulfilled them all at the same time so much so that they murdered him and he's like look foxes have holes there's no place for me who created everything to sleep what would it look like for that guy to leave the church that's crazy I still that, that's a thought I can think of way goes it good okay let's see if you get some more action on the next one a disciple is a student in community underline now the 11 disciples. A disciple is a student in community. Underline 11 disciples. Underline that, that word 11 disciples. And then under, underline baptizing them. A disciple is a student in community. It's not one disciple. You are not the hero of the story. I am not the hero of the story. Praise God. Discipleship happens in community. You're apprenticed to Jesus in community. This is still like, I still don't understand this. This is radically different. Does anybody else see this? A disciple is a student in community. There is a plurality. Now Jesus had his three that he was closest to. He had his 12. He had his 70. He had all of these people. But discipleship happens in community. It's a plurality. It does not happen on our own. It happens in community. And it is a very, it was a very diverse community and is a very diverse community. Do you think about this Matthew the tax collector who worked for Rome? Picture him as a Donald Trump supporter. He, just, just because. He 
liked the rules. Uh, that doesn't make any sense compared. Just picture him as like being on the right. He just is on the right. He wants to build the wall. He doesn't like the vaccine. He doesn't like he doesn't like masks. And Jesus says, "You come and follow me." Then there's Simon the Zealot, who has been trained that when you find a Roman soldier, pinch his knife and then shiv him so he dies. So picture him, not because I came up with this on the spot. So just picture him as being an AOC, socialist, loving, take all of my money, whatever, and let's pack the courts. I mean, just whatever stereotypical thing that you think about. And Jesus says, come and follow me. And then now follow me so closely together that you sleep in the same tent. Like, not that you tweet from afar about how you don't like this person, but that you are like in community with someone that's so completely different than you, and you're coming to follow Jesus. That's crazy. I mean, that's crazy. I don't even like myself half the time. I can't imagine walking with someone that was very polar opposite of me, right? In community. The disciples really didn't get it here, right? It took like the Acts of the Apostles and the Epistles where they're like, there's no division between Jew and Gentile. There's no division. Y'all come and follow and worship Jesus together. Right? You two follow me. And this baptism is the initiatory right into following Jesus. Baptism is not just getting wet. <laughs> baptism um, is being baptized into a community into some people that identify as saying, man, we are uh, followers of Jesus. So we don't create community. You know, we talk about this. I mean, at the beginning of the church, we named it Normandy Community Church because that's what all the Trinity churches were doing. They put community in it so that you knew on the slide that you could actually find community, like we're creating community. That's not what's happening here. Community is something that God has already created because He's having people come and follow Him. It's already done. So we are following Him. If you end up alone, then that's not a good thing, by the way. You know, if you end up alone, it's not a good thing. So a disciple is a student in community. Any, any highlights there that stand out? Any fresh and encouraging? Or discouraging? Well, encouraging or discouraging, I just... You don't see anybody crossing crossing the line uh, in the church, meaning like going over to the other side of somebody that believes differently than you. Um, and that I think is one of the yeah one of the things that sticks out to me about what we just talked about: community mm -hmm. of people that believe different than you, uh, but still have that commonality of Jesus and trying to work to bring unity, uh, even though there's a lot that's different. Mm -hmm. It's you, time. Anybody else? I like the order of it because I think it's like if we actually are so fixated on Jesus, then we turn to our left and right and see that there's people that are radically different than us and we're automatically in community. So it's not like community first by being around people that we like and then we're able to run towards Jesus. It's like Follow get Jesus. the dust off of his feet because that's more beautiful than we are right now. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have people that are radically different than you doing the same. Oh, this, I put it in there, but Dr. Tim Moore is my, was my professor this last semester, and I'm basically ripping this all off of him. Um, he's the pastor of Life Covenant Church. You can look him up. It's pretty rad what they've done. So a disciple is a student in community in process. In process. A disciple is a student in community in process. 
Everybody take a deep breath real quick. The atmosphere of the kingdom is pity. We're in process together. We have not arrived. I have not arrived. I would like to have arrived, but I have not, wherever that is. A disciple is a student in community, in process. So it says in verse um, 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Does anything about that number 11 stand out to you? The 11 disciples. It was not 12. And Judas hung himself. Like, this must have been painful to write. There were 12 of us, and now there's 11. Not only that, one of us betrayed him. Not only that, he, he ended his own life. Like, this must have been a painful thing. We gloss over that, or think, you know, one on time, Lord, this guy, Judas. But this was painful. Like, in their community of people that they've been doing life with, literally living together for two and a half years, maybe three years, depending on how you slice it, day in and day out, one of them was gone. And gone poorly. Not in good terms. It must have pained them. So it says, Now the eleven disciples went to, uh, to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. When they saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. A disciple is a student in community in process. So they've seen Jesus heal a withered hand. They've seen Lazarus come forth. They've seen the bread multiplied. They saw him, or at least heard him, about him getting murdered. John and uh, some of the ladies were there. The rest of the guys fled like little schoolboys away from it and hid because they were scared. Now he's alive and he's appeared to them several times and some of them doubt it. What do you mean you doubt it? He went to you and said, Peter, you're Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. What do you mean a 13-year-old girl is going to make you take the Lord's name in vain and deny that you ever know him? What do you mean that you're hiding? He literally raised Lazarus from the dead, Jairus' daughter from the dead, the withered hand, the leprous person. He fed you. He calmed the storm. What are you scared of? What do you mean you doubted him? They worshipped, but some doubted. You got any doubters here today? You're in good company. The atmosphere of the kingdom is pity. You breathe it in. He has pity on us. And that word is chosen on purpose because it should offend some of you and me. He takes pity on us. And some doubt it. There's pain that happens in the context of community. Doubt happens. They come to Jesus after three years after the crucifixion and they still doubt. So think about that for your relationships. Think about that for our church. Do we leave room for failure and doubt? Do we leave room for failure and doubt? Do people experience God's grace in such a way where it's okay to be in process? Grace changes. Do, we, do, we, do, we, do people experience God's grace in such a way, in such a radical way, they figure out it's okay to be where they're at. It's not okay to stay there all the time. It's okay to be where they're at, right? Do they? Failure does not mean you're out. I mean, these guys failed ridiculously. Incredibly. 
in front of everyone. They just, I mean, Peter, every week. Yes, I know, John. Thank you. He's somehow here with us, the saints. Rome, or Hebrews 12, the saints are joining with us as we worship God. So are the most holy angels. And he gets to hear week after week after week after week about how he got turned away from Jesus because some slave girl accused him of following Jesus. That's very discouraging. I'm sorry, Peter. Failure does not mean you're out. Doubt does not mean you're rejected. Failure does not mean you're out. Doubt does not mean you're rejected. Grace is messy. The better we do it, grace, the messier the church is going to be. And the realer the church is going to be. They're going to stop putting on their fake Christianese thing, their fake Christian face, and they're saying, this is where I'm at. I'm actually in doubt and in fear and in pain or in hurt or in failure. I need Jesus. Congratulations, you've come to the right place, to Jesus. Grace is messy. The better we do it, the messier the church is going to be and the realer it's going to be because when you are actually real, when you face reality at all costs, that's when healing and sanctification happens because it's not good to be alone. It has to start with the leaders. It has to start with me, Jenny, Zoe. It has to start with us as we lead together. So a disciple uh, process. Give me one or two bits of feedback. Um, hey, it's from Dallas Willard. Um, I can't remember if it's from Hearing God or um, um, his, what is it called when you write something really big? Magnum Opus. I, I forget. But anyway, he goes through and he's talking about blessed are the peacemakers, uh, uh, blessed are the merciful, they should be showing mercy. And in the West, like if you had to choose between mercy and pity, which would you choose? Mercy. Mercy. They mean the same thing. Pity is like, oh, bro, you're not doing good. And it doesn't drive you away, but it actually causes you to come near. So, like, there's a guy that goes around the Lake Highlands Town Center. And I met him, and he's a little off. He's crazy. Doesn't speak any English. But, like, I don't often have pity on him. I have, like, rejection of him. I'm like, oh, please, he's like yelling at cars while they go by, you know, he's that kind of, he's a little gone. And so, just in process of going, okay, Lord, what do you think about it? You know, I was reading 1 John, and it's like, man, if you don't love others, you don't love me. If you don't love your brother, you don't love me. And so all of a sudden, my heart started to change where I was like, I got out of my car and went to enter into his world. To me, that's what pity is. It's like saying, I see the condition, but it doesn't cause me to reject you. It actually drives me closer to do something about it. And that's the atmosphere of the kingdom. You came from heaven to earth to show. This is why he left heaven, to come and bring the atmosphere of heaven to us. Atmosphere of the Trinity. Anybody else there? A disciple is a student in community and process. I think one of the big things that stands out to this for me that also goes back to the, just some of the stuff about community is the need for humility. Um, one of the things that I just am, am struck with quite often is the amount of pride that's in there, you know, believing that I know the right way to do things and in that there's no humility and a lack of humility prevents community and prevents process from taking place. Um, and I think that's why pride is so antithetical to the gospel and the in the kingdom, it prevents some of these things from taking place. If you want a free, uh, on YouTube, you can go look up Andrew Murray's book on humility, and he says, flee to the open arms of Christ, 
and ask that he clothe you with his humility. You get to share in it. Like I would always encourage you not to say, Lord, humble me before you, because he will. And James says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he'll exalt you in due time. So you can this book you can listen to, and it's like free on Amazon too. But he says, flee to the open arms of Christ, and he will clothe you with his humility. It's a good word. Michelle. Uh, what do you, tell me more about uh, grace is messy. The better we are at this, the messier it will be. What do you mean by that? I don't really know. But it, there's, I'm trying to learn the difference between like how you accept someone like for who they actually are and not who they should be. Because they're never going to be as they should be. Like, but act, like you and I, you and I have been through a lot. For us to actually like see one another and accept and then not pretend. And then when we see that, and we see kind of the rawness of it, both the good and the bad, that's where we start to change. Like when you're actually who you are. And so there's something about grace that's offensive to where it like actually causes us to let our defenses down. So it's like, this is what I actually think. And then not trying to control the person or correcting, but just letting them be who they are. I don't know if Jesus is God, you know. Like I don't know if you've had someone that's deconstructed their faith of late and they're having all of these questions or doubts and like inside you're going, oh, freak out because you don't believe the same things that I do but like I think grace is letting them be who they are where they are and then us not playing God but then letting the Holy Spirit come do the work of convicting the world comforting instructing so there's something I don't really know but I think it's it's about like this is who I am kind of not in a take it or leave it arrogant sort of way but like this is just who I am can I speak on that for a second yeah Maybe in a year and a half. It's because I, my brain went back to your analogy of the political opposites. And like when those two people get in a room, it's messy. But they're accepted for who they are when, as followers of Christ. You know, like you can just feel the tension of like, ooh, I don't want to be in that conversation. Like, gross. It's not going to be nice and sweet and wrapped up and pretty. It's going to be kind of edgy and offensive and a little bit like just uncomfortable but it's like that's what grace is is it's uncomfortable i guess and it's also it i think when you said that my first thought was like a lack of control like with messiness and humility that was it was like lack of lack of control and increasing humility and that's messy it's all messy because it's like yeah, that's kind of where my brain went. It's just like embracing people as they are, as they are is it, it pulls us out of um, control. Like we're never in control, really. It's an illusion. But you know, like I, I think about um, Brennan Manning and any of his books. His, but just the idea of like when he was following Jesus and he was a Jesuit priest, I believe. Um, so he was doing all the right things and then he like fell out completely and it was like a drunk and a slob and he's like, God's grace was no different for me on the day that I was a drunk and a slob and I was like in a uh, place of the priest praying and interceding. He's like, God's grace was the same on both of those instances. And there's something about uh, in those political differences, whatever they are, um, I was going to be a good comment, Warren, 
I've forgotten it because of remaining. But anyway, it's 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 an honesty and an acceptance. Um, yeah, there's something about honesty and acceptance I like and that I, that analogy is like this is who I am. I'm accepting you as you are, not as you should be. Um, yeah. Is there is there a difference in that of you are a son or daughter already versus you don't know Jesus? Like, can we expect more out of those that have accepted Jesus already? Like, does the mess look different? Is kind of what I'm asking. It's a good question. I guess like what I'm getting at is like if we're actually like fully chasing after God, our identity starts to look different. Mm. So the mess shouldn't be as prevalent because like the Lord is already at work. So if you don't start to look more clean, your fruit is not abounding. Are you spending time with Jesus? Versus come as you are. If you don't know Jesus, of course that's that's the gospel. But if you look just as messy as you did five years ago, are you like? Really, have you really accepted Jesus, and has He actually changed you? That's a bigger question of time for, but um, <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> there, you have in the scriptures uh, a tension. Like, the Bible is so good and so rich, but it deals with people and humanity as they are, and there's always this tension where, like, even in the, the epistles, they're saying. Um, Hey, live in expectation that Jesus is returning soon. The perusia, they're saying, live in the expectation, live right now like Jesus is coming back at any moment. And for 2,000 years, he hasn't come back just yet. But there's also a tension where they're like, if you go read Jude, the 23, 25 chapters, it's so intense. And he's like, change, he's like, pay attention to the teaching that you're listening to because this is going to lead to the way of uh, Balaam and the donkey and Balak and it's not going to be good. So there is a kind of a holy tension that the word of God keeps us in on that point of saying, man, are you actually in the faith? Are you abiding in Christ? And so um, I, that's a, a lot bigger question. Um, I think we have time for it, but yeah. Can I say something on that and with the community and process? Yeah, please. Um, I think I think you're right individually. Like we should be this 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 idea of a long obedience in the same direction, which doesn't mean we reach perfection ten years after we're we're saved and continue on. But a big part of this being in community is there will always be people coming and go, coming and go. So as a community, maybe individually we we begin we continue this process of sanctification of becoming more like Christ. But as a community, there will always be mess. And, and, and I think that's a big part of the grace, is this grace not just for ourselves, but for us as a community. Um, I mean, I feel this a lot with my kids. Like I, I have to really work hard to not hold my five-year-old to the same standards as my seven-year-old. And that's only a two-year difference. And like, as, as a community of people who are all going through different different things and have grown up in different circumstances, know the Bible better than others, have been able to commune with God in different ways than others, that there's always going to be, I mean, grace is is giving people what they don't deserve. So in order for grace to be present, there has to be some sort of imperfection. Right? 
we're all perfect and there's no need for grace. And I think that's the like the more the more we're better at extending grace, it's going to invite people who are not, I don't have it together. And I think the reality is that we see this a lot of people deconstructing their faith is that we also get to different stages of life, different stages of the world or whatever, and it, it doesn't it doesn't look this long obedience in the same direction doesn't look yeah. like a like a graph like this. There's ups and downs and peaks and valleys, and I think that's the beauty of the community is that when when someone's in a valley and there are other people in the peaks and they can say, Hey, come on, there's grace for that, and let's let's move that direction. There, it is a calling up for sure. It's a uh, I mean, John said at the very beginning, it's not a, it, it's okay to be in a rough place, to have a tough time, to be down, to be questioning. It's not okay to stay there forever. But having people who can get down and come up with you and go, this sucks. I see that. Let's let's go do this together kind of thing. I think I think that's a lot of the, my my interpretation of this grace and what we're talking about, the process we are we are moving in a direction for sure, mm -hmm. uh, but there's always going to be mess. And there's something about the grace. Um, if if pity is the atmosphere, I think then the specific element that grace is is the oxygen um, that we breathe in. Because if you have an atmosphere of grace, then people are going to be willing to try and fall down. They're going to be willing to to, to step up and say what they think or what they actually feel or actually be willing to confess. Um, and that's what I think, I, I just agree with you, just riffing a little bit there. Um, that type of element where it's not rules-based and legalism, it's like actually let's actually try together, which is good. So let's keep on going. That's a great question. The disciple is a student in community, in processing, uh, in processing, in process. Process with English. English is a second language for me and my heart. A disciple is a student in community in process worshiping Jesus. This is going to blow you away. There are two commissions in the Great Commission. The first one, they went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. The first directive. Jenny's going to love this one, is to worship Him. The first commission is to worship Jesus. We talk about it, we do the call of worship every week. The God of the universe is inviting the humans that inhabit His planet to come and worship Him. Come and worship Him. Come to me and live. Yes, and part of how we live is by declaring who He is. For, for uh, from you all are things, and to you all are things. You're worthy of it all. Did you see the shift in the room when we took our eyes off of ourselves and we worshiped Him? So good. So there's two commissions. The first is worship. The second is go. John Piper reminds us that one day missions ends, but worship will never cease. It will never end. When heaven and earth are united together forever, we're walking fully in the light of Jesus, we are going to be worshiping. Missions will cease, but worship will never cease. Now, I want you to be reminded, for the most part, at least eight or nine of these, now eleven, are really, really good Jewish boys. 
What's the first and great commandment um, in the Ten Commandments in Exodus? Remember, they took it out of schools. Is this why you don't know what the Ten Commandments are? It's okay. What's the first of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. The first one is about idol worship. Don't make any graven images is number two. Do not worship anyone else. These are good Jewish boys. For them to say, they're saying, you are the son of God. They worshiped him, him in the flesh. They went from like, you're really cool, holy cow, you're the Messiah, to they worshiped him. Could you imagine worshiping somebody in the flesh? Yes, you can, because some of you stayed way too much late last night watching the Yankees worshiping them. <laughs> Literally, it's a small microcosm. Like, I saw the video of the guy that did the thing, and like, all came out of me on the video with the wakeboarder. Did you see that, Mark? He went full sin, and he was like a thousand degrees in the air. It was insane. Like, we had this proclivity to worship. These are good Jewish boys and girls, and they worshiped Jesus. So I'm reminding you of who he is. He is the Son of God, Messiah. He is the image of the invisible God. He is alive right now. He worshiped Him. So the church always is to be a worshiping community. When we meet at home group, when we meet at staff meeting, when we meet on Sundays, we are to worship. That's part of the gathering part. Whether we feel like it or not does not matter. We come and we say, Jesus, you are the Lord. And then the second commission is to go and make disciples. Sometimes we fail to see the first, go worship. And then we go make disciples. But the come and worship is there. John 15, abide, then bear fruit. Mark 3, come be with me and I'm going to teach you how to make disciples. That's what happens afterwards. Acts 1.8, wait and then be my witnesses. Okay, a disciple is a student in community, in process, worshiping Jesus together um, and authorized to make disciples. I mean, think about this for a second. If you are born again following Jesus, I believe you've been authorized to go make disciples. You may not be wanted in the world. Your viewpoint, your idea that Jesus is the Lord, that He's actually alive, that He's the Son of God, that may not make you be rejected, but you are authorized to go do this. You are authorized by the Son of God, Messiah, to go and make disciples. Jesus, the true King, has authorized us to go into the world, into your neighborhoods. Thinking about the message version here. What did it say at the beginning? Um, go out and train everyone you meet, your neighbor across the street, the person that you meet in the grocery store, your kid's teacher, your kid's coach, your business partner. Go and train everyone. You are authorized to teach them to be apprenticed to Jesus in community together. That is nuts. Okay, that's nuts to me. In your schools, in your cities, in your nations, where we go, we are, we are commanded to go, we are authorized to go and make the disciples. A disciple is a student in community, in process, worshiping Jesus, authorized to make disciples, and immersed in the reality of the Trinity. I mean, this is, I was going to say a course joke, but no, I'm not. In process, John. In process. Teach me your ways, John. <laughs> we are immersed in the reality of the Trinitarian God of the Bible. 
Baptism is about being immersed into the reality, the heaven and earth reality, the inner space, time dimension reality of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's not about getting wet. It's being initiated into the church, being immersed into the very reality of the Trinity. So when he says, baptizing them in the name, it should say names, should say to make it make sense in the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it's the name. Baptize, baptizing one another in the name and the reality of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the name signifies the person, the presence, and their reality. So when we were baptized, we were baptized into the reality of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost that exists outside of time and space. We are dipped, we are students dipped into the very life of the Trinity. Praise God. A disciple is a student in community, in process, worshiping Jesus together, authorized to make disciples, immersed in the reality of the, uh, of the Trinity, learning to obey Jesus' commands. This is an ongoing action. We are learning to live in Him and with Him. As a church, things to think about. How are we teaching people to obey Jesus? Like, should today, like this is a philosophical question, but should we, should we be like reaching the lost on days like today? Should I be doing a gospel message every week? Um, is this more about teaching? Like, do we need more Bible knowledge? But Jesus says, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey Jesus. Uh, if, if Jesus really, if we don't submit ourselves to him, he's really not our Lord, he's just our butler. Like, obedience means like, hey, go do this, and I don't want to. We're like, you're not really the Lord of heaven and earth. I'm going to do what I want. That's not obedience, right? So what are the venues that we're doing this? Because we are authorized to go make disciples. Your venues are your home, your vocation, your recreation. But like, where are you? Where are we actually teaching people to obey Jesus? The church is made up of these people. Uh, the last one. A disciple is a student in community, in process, worshiping Jesus together, authorized to make disciples, immersed in the reality of the Trinity, in the presence of Jesus himself. Why do we know that? Because he said that. And behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Like we, we talked about this at Cultivate, and we talked about it at a few other places, like staff meeting, but what if we operated like Jesus was actually here? Like when you go home, what if you operated like he was actually there? What if somehow metaphysically, emotionally, spiritually, I don't understand it, but what if we believed that he was actually with us wherever we went? What changes? My language? My response? How I treat people when they cut me off, just to name a few? We are in the presence of Jesus. So he says, all authority has been given... Uh, and heaven and earth has been given to me. That's power. Then he says, I am with you. Presence. Normally we like to think we're about his presence and his people. So like we're saying here is that Jesus has all authority, all power, and then he's with us. We should be like sleeping like babies all of the time because we're just completely calm and at rest because the Lord of heaven and earth is with us. Okay? He's with us. Are we operating in the actual presence of... We are operating theologically. We believe this orthodoxy. We believe that we are always operating in the very real presence of Christ. And it does not apart... It does not happen... We don't do anything apart from Him. He is with us. So, 
We're pushing time here, but give me a few responses. What stands out to you? I went pretty fast in these last ones, but give me one bit of encouragement, one thing that stands out to you, one bit of life that you found in those last little riffs, and we'll end with some prayer. Anything new, anything fresh? You were in jail last year. There's grace. Yes. Yeah. There's so much. But anyway, yeah, I would really recommend it because he talks about like the capacity for God's heart, like the strong capacity. Like, he's working with people who raped people, who murdered people, and he's still at the end of the day, like he'll cry because they wish their dad loved them. And he talks about the ability, like this, this nuanced way of just how crazy God's heart is to have justice and accountability and mercy and anyways and it's amazing and he does discipleship with these guys around LA and lives in their neighborhood and lives around gunshots and not that we all can't do that but it's probably the most like powerful model of discipleship that, that I've ever read mm-hmm. tattoos on the heart but I just keep thinking about that throughout this sermon mm-hmm. thank you one more uh, I like to just don't don't just get wet with Jesus, um, but be fully immersed in Him. Just kind of good. To, I think uh, it's easy to for me to take a couple things from God that I like um, and just go along money without or with that, as opposed to be fully immersed in the life of Christ. Uh, for me, and just that imagery of my, am I getting some drops? Am I getting a, you know, a little wet, or am I fully immersed? Yeah. No. It is like a reality. I'm trying to believe that. Work backwards from it, I guess. Let's do this. Adam, would you uh, end YouTube? We love you guys for those that are there. Uh, and then I'm going to pray just briefly, and then we'll get out of here. Um, So Jesus is with us right now. And um, what I want to do is just make space for those that are in process today that are in need of grace. So if that's you, just go ahead and stand up. Raise your hand. um, And let's operate like Jesus is actually here. Jesus, you're here. Would you come and minister to our hearts and minds as we go? Where are places where there's been loneliness, where there's been pain, where there's been doubt, where there's been fear? Let's follow Jesus together as we close. Um, is there anybody that needs some prayer, that needs confession, that needs to just say, this is where I'm at today. We'd be remiss if, we, if he was actually here to not actually go see the people. They're not. Just one's got prayer today. That's totally fine. So let me, um, if you'll go pray here, y'all pray here, and then I'll dismiss this. Uh, Jesus, we love you. Um, Church, you're gathered, and now you're sent. You're sent in the name of Jesus.